Hey, good morning, my friends. As promised last week on 10 Minutes with Jim, our alphabetical odyssey along Route 66 continues with a tale of sex, murder, and intrigue in Amarillo, Texas. First, I want to say thank you to Joe and the boys of the road crew for our theme song. If you need a bit of inspiration for planning a road trip, take a listen to their tunes at roadcrew66.com. Say hello to a new friend on an old road. Take a two-lane trip of memories into mysteries unknown. Come along for the ride. Jim Hinckley's America. Jim Hinckley's America. One more item to attend to is a shout-out to the folks at Grand Canyon Caverns, one of my favorite places on Route 66 to stop for pie. I can attest to this little roadside gem being a true time capsule from the era of Studebakers and family vacations in a station wagon, as almost nothing has changed since my first visit more than a half century ago. And of course, this program and Jim Hinckley's America are also made possible through support of our crowdfunding initiative on the Patreon platform, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash Jim Hinckley's America. And now, our Route 66 A to C adventure continues with a dark tale from Amarillo. W.A. Tex Thornton was a larger-than-life figure in the oil fields of Texas. His exploits were so legendary that it was easy to blur the lines between fact from fiction, especially for a talented teller of tall tales like Thornton. The lure of riches is what led Thornton to drop out of school at age 16 and to take on work as a roughneck on rigs. Just shy of his 18th birthday, he signed on with a torpedo company as a well shooter and displayed such a talent for the job the company sent him to Ohio for training. It was there that he acquired his nickname Tex. In 1919, he shot out his first well fire near Electra, Texas, and in 1924 in Hutchinson County, he shot out a fire that had been blazing for a week. The following year, he extinguished six blazes that had resisted the most professional teams available. On April 11, 1927, a premature well-shooting explosion killed three men and badly injured several more. Tex was on the scene, and after racing into the blazing inferno to pull the injured to safety, he was hailed a hero. It was exploits such as this that kept his name on the front page of newspapers throughout the nation, and soon he was being called to work well fires throughout Texas as well as in Oklahoma and New Mexico. Fast forward to the summer of 1949. On June 22nd, Thornton was headed home to Amarillo after shooting a well fire in Farmington, New Mexico. He stopped at a tavern in San Juan, east of Tucumcari. He wasn't alone. Torrance Popjoy, the bartender and a longtime friend, watched him walk in with a red-haired man and a young blonde woman in a white blouse and dark skirt and settle into a booth. During the investigation into Thornton's murder, Pope Joy recalled that Thornton had ordered three whiskey sours, but the couple with him asked for a beer instead. After another round of drinks, the woman ordered a pint of Schnelli's Black Label Whiskey, six cans of beer, four bottles of squirt soda pop, four packages of peanuts, and two packs of Camel cigarettes to go. She paid for it with the money Thornton had tossed onto the table when he had ordered the first round of drinks. Witnesses would later note that when they left, the young man was driving Thornton's Black 1948 Chrysler and the woman was in the middle with Tex at her side. At about 8.30 p.m., Thornton's car pulled into the parking lot of the Park Plaza Motel, located at 612 Northeast 
8th Avenue, Route 66 in Amarillo. The woman entered the office. She filled out the registration card, signing it as E.O. Johnson of Detroit, Michigan, and she paid $8.50 for the two-bedroom cabin. The motel's porter, Charlie Thompson, showed the trio to cabin number 18, unlocked the door, and turned on the lights. He noted that they had no luggage. About 10 o'clock that night, the young couple asked the porter about restaurants and then requested assistance to push start the car. A motorist passing on Northeast 8th stopped to assist and used his car to push the Chrysler. The couple drove east into the night on Route 66, and the next morning at 9.15, Jesse May Walker, the motel maid, found Thornton dead in the back room of the cabin. His body was nude and the covers had been pulled to his chin. His shirt was knotted about his neck so tightly Paul Boxwell, the funeral director, had trouble removing it. There were obvious head wounds that had grossly distorted the skull and the mattress was blood-soaked. His clothes were on the floor next to the bed along with a pair of bloody trousers that were too small for Thornton. The lower plate of his dentures were found underneath his body. His pockets were empty of money and identification. The police arrived on the scene within minutes of the call from the motel manager, and one of the officers, a member of the Will Rogers Range Riders, an organization that Thornton was a member of, identified the body. The murder was front-page news in the Amarillo Times as well as the Amarillo Globe and through the wire services in newspapers from New York to Los Angeles. Friday morning, 24 hours after discovery of the body, a Potter County grand jury returned murder indictments against John Doe and Mary Rowe. With notification of law enforcement agencies along the Route 66 corridor in New Mexico, Texas, and Oklahoma, a multi-state search for Thornton's Chrysler was launched. Members of the Range Riders followed leads east along Route 66 to Elk City, Oklahoma, and they located a service station where the attendant identified the car and the man and the woman. Other witnesses were found in El Reno and Oklahoma City, and a few days later, police located Thornton's Chrysler abandoned in a field near Dodge City, Kansas. Then the trail went cold. On February 7, 1950, 18-year-old Diana Henney Johnson turned herself in to police in Washington, D.C., and she told a wild story that was difficult to believe. Adding color to her sensational story, she chain-smoked and was proficient with profanity. Officer Porter Beale sent a telegram to Amarillo Police Chief Sid Harper inquiring about the Thornton murder to corroborate Johnson's story, and as it turned out, she was the Mary Rowe listed in the grand jury murder indictment. In a lengthy, rambling confession, she described how Thornton had picked her and her husband up west of Tucumcari, New Mexico, after San Juan, the trio continued drinking, even after checking into the motel. She had returned from getting clothes from the car to find Johnson beating Thornton in the back bedroom. According to her testimony, Johnson told her to get in the car or you'll get what he got. Acting on information provided, police officers located her husband, Evald, and his sister, Edith Louise, in Munsing, Michigan. Al Doolin, the city editor in Amarillo that had been at the crime scene, sent Bill Cox, the paper's police reporter, to Michigan for what he hoped would be an exclusive story. He scored the first interview with Evald Johnson, and it was a bombshell. Johnson's story was a guaranteed page-turner, as it contained sex, murder, intrigue, and duplicity. I had laid down on the bed in the front room to drink some beer. I must have passed out, but when I woke up, I saw my old lady walk into the bathroom as naked as the day she was born. The next thing I knew, I was beating him with the butt of the gun. 
I don't remember nothing else. I remember holding the gun in the air and saw blood on my pants, and I don't know whether I choked him with a shirt before or after I hit him. Johnson hired attorney Ernest Dusty Miller, whose fame, if it were possible, surpassed even Thornton's. The 64-year-old lawyer had built a career defending people facing the death penalty and had yet to lose a client. The stage was now set for a media circus. The battle between the attorneys commenced in earnest with jury selection that took three days. Then, as the trial commenced, the prosecutor immediately called the crucial moment in the Amarillo Motel to the juror's attention with Evald's confession. Dozens of witnesses who had seen the couple with Thornton along Route 66 were questioned. At 1.30 p.m. on Friday, May 12, 1950, the state rested its case and dropped its murder charge against Diana but left the federal charge of transporting a stolen vehicle across state lines standing. Incredibly, on Tuesday afternoon, juries retired to deliberate, and three hours later they returned their verdict, not guilty. Johnson had been acquitted. The courtroom erupted, and of course the story wasn't over as Johnson and Diana still faced federal charges of transporting a stolen vehicle across state lines. For this crime, Evald was sentenced to four years in federal prison, Diana received four years probation. After Evol had served his sentence, he returned to his hometown of Munson, Michigan, married Lillian Schultz, and found employment with the Munson Telephone Company. Diana returned to her parents in California and worked as a housekeeper and governess for a California movie producer. Well, that wraps up our story about Amarillo and this week's program. Next week, the alphabetical adventure continues with the story of the Ambassador Lodge, a fascinating tale. I hope that you can join us. So until we meet again, amigos, here's to safe travels and grand adventures. Hey, we'll see you on the road. Come along for the ride. Jim Hinckley's America. Jim Hinckley's America.